What's up, Stitches? You're here on episode 11 of season 3 of So What? with me, Isabella Rosner. This is the third mini-episode of the season, and as you probably remember, maybe, I don't know, each mini-episode focuses on a needlework tradition from a different country. The first two mini-episodes covered Europe and the Americas, and this episode focuses on Asia. We'll be looking at two related but also separate stitching techniques from Japan, Sashiko and Boro. Exciting! Are you excited? I am! As always, images and sources for this episode are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at So What Podcast, and on our website, SoWhatPodcast.com. Okay, let's get into it, and let's start with Sashiko. Sashiko is a type of traditional Japanese embroidery used both to decorate cloth slash clothing and to reinforce it. So basically, it's both an embroidery style and a visible darning technique. You could say it's darning embroidery. Sashiko almost always involves white thread stitched on an indigo-dyed blue cloth. This is not an absolute rule or anything, that's just how it's been historically and how it largely is today. I will first start with Sashiko's history before getting into color and pattern. So, Sashiko originated in rural northern Japan and moved south along trade routes. The word sashiko literally translates to little stabs. It's not known exactly when it developed, but it probably started during the Edo period, which ran from 1603 to 1868. By the Meiji era, which lasted from 1868 to 1912, sashiko was a well-established textile tradition. Sashiko is considered a folk textile because it was the purview of the peasant classes first. Its purely useful origins contrast with some of Japan's other textile traditions, like fine silk fabric production in the region, for example. Sashiko was first used by working-class farmers and fishermen. The women of these farming and fishing families extended the lives of worn fabrics by mending, layering, and stitching them together. Worn-out clothes were pieced together with simple running stitches, making them sturdier and warmer, According to the trusty Sashiko Wikipedia page, which I love, I won't hide my love for it, it is great, quote, Sashiko was commonly used to reinforce already patched clothing around points of wear, but would also be used to attach patches to clothing, making the fabric ultimately stronger. It would also be used to layer thin fabrics to create warmth. And in the case of some garments, such as the coats of firemen, which I'm just going to say here is hikishibanten, to create a thick and absorbent material that would be soaked in water before carrying out duties as a fireman, end quote. It's clear that sashiko was historically useful because it breathed new life into old fabric, but the preservation of worn fabric was even more important because industrialized fabric production didn't reach Japan until the 1870s. Do you like how many times I said fabric in a sentence? That was a lot! Up until then, I'm back to it now, up until then, cloth was a treasured commodity. Cotton, linen, and hemp were spun, woven, and dyed by hand. Silk and cotton were expensive and were reserved for the upper classes, and hemp, which was what ordinary people wore, tore easily. Cloth was a precious resource that represented huge amounts of time and labor, spinning, weaving, and dyeing. 
Even after mechanized mills were built near Osaka, the fabric produced there was too expensive for many people to afford, so they continued to weave their own fabrics. Sashiko started off as a purely necessary way to preserve precious cloth. As time went on, though, sashiko became a way to mend, darn, layer, and decorate textiles. Even when fabric production became mechanized in the 19th century, sashiko stuck around. By that point, some were using it as a form of decoration, while others continued to use it for practical purposes. And that mix between decoration and practical usage is still felt today. Sashiko is really popular, especially amongst people who practice and enjoy visible mending and darning. There are many different types of sashiko embroidery, and before I get into them, I should say sorry in advance for my pronunciation. I did actually take Japanese lessons as a child because I lived near a Japanese school. That did not help me in this situation at all. I am going to try really hard to pronounce this stuff, but it might be an adventure. just want to apologize if, in case I do pronounce things absolutely horribly. Okay, but back to techniques. There's moyozashi, which involves using running stitches to create linear designs. Hitomezashi involves patterns that are revealed from grid-like stitching, which look a bit like weaving. Kogin, which means small cloth, is a form of sashiko, specifically from the Tsugaro district of Honshu. And Shonai sashiko is from the Shonai region of Yamagata prefecture. And... If the sashiko uses indigo-dyed threads instead of white threads, it's called kakurazashi. Clearly, there's a lot going on here, and that's not even all of it. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Sashiko typically involves white thread on an indigo-dyed ground. Fashion librarian Kat Siddle has a really good article about sashiko on seamwork.com, and I want to share what she writes about the white-indigo combo, as it's super clear and informative. She writes, quote, For much of Japan's history, fabric was made from linen or hemp. Cotton farming began in about 1600. While cotton fabric was softer on the skin than handwoven hemp, it was also difficult to dye unless you used indigo. Families would weave their own fabric at home and send it, along with their boro textiles, which we will get into later, to a local dyer. But even if people could afford other fabrics, they weren't necessarily allowed to wear them. During the Edo period, 1603 to 1868, the ruling classes established complicated laws that governed dress and colors. These laws forbade the lower classes from wearing silk, bright colors, or large patterns. Ironically, these laws encouraged innovations in dyeing techniques, as people with means sought out alternatives to forbidden colors. End quote. And now that we've discussed color, let's discuss pattern. Some sashiko patterns come from Chinese designs, but loads were designed by native Japanese embroiderers. Sashiko designs come from things found in nature, like plants, birds, animals, or weather patterns like clouds. Lots of traditional sashiko designs are geometric and symmetrical. You want to know about some specific enduring patterns? I bet you do. I do too. Let's get into it. Here are four specific examples. Okay, the first is the Nowaki grasses pattern, which looks like layers of wind-blown grass and which likely developed from coastal fishing communities. According to Indigo Niche, 
I know niche is also pronounced niche. I just like the pronunciation of niche more. So here we go. According to Indigo Niche, which is a Japanese textile and quilting supplier, Nowaki grasses, quote, depicts the shape of dune grasses in a strong sea breeze and represents both resilience and the fortified strength of one's roots, end quote. Also, if you are wondering why I just talked really loudly then and why there is a vague dog barking sound in the background, I am currently recording this at home in Los Angeles. The family dogs are very excited about something, so it's my voice battling against their, their intensely loud barking. Very sorry about that. In case you're wondering, like, what is going on there? That's what's up. But back to it, let's get back to Sashiko. The second pattern is called the Asanoa pattern, and it involves a motif of a hemp or flax leaf. It's often used in Buddhist scroll work to represent radiating light or the soul's inner light. Very Quaker, it feels like. Traditionally, Japanese newborns were swaddled in fabric featuring the Asanoha design as a blessing for the child to grow strong and healthy. There's also the Seigaiha pattern, which translates to blue sea waves, and which dates back to the 6th century. Seigaiha was used as a talisman, representing waves of good luck. And the last one I'll talk about is the Shippo Tsunagi pattern, which translates to seven treasures, and which combines four ellipses in a circle in such a way that they create more circles. According to Indigo Niche, quote, the word shippo is a reference to precious stones in Buddhism and is partly a reference to the shiny appearance of the circle's interiors. You will often see this pattern combined with flowers in sashiko embroidery. Because of the geometric flow effect of the intersecting circles, this pattern more than anything was used to symbolize endless peace and happiness, as well as a talisman for, quote, infinite fertility and family prosperity, end quote. And so, to conclude our time with Sashiko, I will say that the technique's emphasis on visible mending is not only rad, but is also very relevant in this day and age when we are rightly thinking lots about clothing renewal and rejuvenation. Sashiko is not only beautiful, it also breathes new life into old textiles and has set a historic precedent for the visible darning that is increasingly popular in the world of stitchers and beyond. How very cool it is that embroidery is used to bring together the old and make it new again. With Sashiko, we renew, reuse, and recycle, but we also use tired fabrics as canvases on which to stitch new tails. And because of the color contrast between thread and fabric, those repairing stitches are themselves part of the story. And with that, I'll move on to Boro. This is the second half, but it's the shorter half of this podcast episode. Boro is the result of continuous repetition of sashiko. While sashiko can be a verb, like you're doing sashiko, boro is a noun. Its original Japanese definition is a piece of torn and dirty fabric. Basically, sashiko is stitching and boro is the putting together, the patchworking of scraps that are then stitched together. Most people agree boro started toward the end of the Edo period in the middle of the 19th century, and that it was commonly used for about a century before Japan's poorer classes saw an increase in material wealth during the Meiji period and after World War II. A really nice summary, I think, of Boro comes from the Boro Wikipedia article. So I'm going to give it to you now. 
we do not have any Wikipedia shame in this house. We love Wikipedia. We think it's great and it's cited. Yay. We love it. Okay. It reads, quote, Boro are a class of Japanese textiles that have been mended or patched together. The term is derived from the Japanese term boro-boro, meaning something tattered or repaired. The term boro typically refers to cotton, linen, and hemp materials, mostly handwoven by peasant farmers that have been stitched or rewoven together to create an often many-layered material used for warm, practical clothing. Historically, it was more economical to grow, spin, dye, and weave, and make one's own clothing over buying new garments, and equally as economical to reuse old, worn-out clothing as fabric for new garments. Warmer fibers, such as cotton, were also less commonly available, leading to the development of layering as a necessity in the creation of lower-class clothing. Boro textiles are typically dyed with indigo dye stuff, historically having been the cheapest and easiest to grow dye stuff available to the lower classes. Many examples of boro feature kasuri dye work, and most extant examples of boro today are antiques or modern reproductions made as a craft project, with the introduction of cheaper, ready-to-wear clothing to early 20th century Japan rendering the creation of boro mostly unnecessary. End quote. There's a lot to think about with Boro, but something that I love is the concept of finding the beauty in mending and respecting not only each piece of fabric, but the imperfections that come with them and the piecing together of them. Women creating Boro would quilt two or three layers together with the oldest cloth in the middle, where it could still be useful, but hidden. I find that really beautiful, that even though not every piece in the patchwork had enough life left in it to be visible, it was still an integral part of the overall object. Each bit of fiber, each stitch, is so important. What makes that even more surprisingly poignant to me is that Boro garments were continually mended and passed down from generation to generation. A Boro textile would become a literal map of a family's journey, of their history and heritage. And with that, something broken becomes whole again. Cloth so loved, used for so long and so heavily, gets to live again, thanks to patchworking and the running stitches that bring those patched pieces together. I've chosen to talk about Sashiko and Boro today very briefly, not only because they both speak to the popularity of visible mending, patchworking, and more general clothing renewal, but also because they are literal representations of the power of stitch to provide strength, comfort, and stability. I think it's also vital for me to talk about this stuff because it's not often I get to talk about anyone other than the upper and middle classes on this podcast. Even though people not part of those classes obviously stitched all the time, most of their textiles don't survive, and even more than that, most of their mended textiles don't survive. So to get an opportunity to talk about those people whose labor is often forgotten about and whose work slips through the cracks of history is super important. This work, this aesthetically pleasing form of mending, and this patchwork of well-worn and loved textile remnants started with peasants, not the other way around. It didn't go from the rich to the poor, it went from the poor to the rich. Their work shows us how to love fabric, how to treasure it, and how to ensure that even when it is old and tired, it is part of something special. And how lovely and wholesome is that? I think it's so nice. 
May we all live lives as loved and cherished as the fabric that is Sashiko stitched into Boro. And on that note, I will leave you for this week. Thank you for listening, as always. I appreciate you being here to listen as I ramble about Sashiko and Boro. You are all so great. I don't really know who most of you are, but I appreciate you immensely. Now go out and stitch some stories and think about how Little Stabs, the English translation of the word Sashiko, would make a great band name. Bye! (laughs) 